Today's message is going to start out with a story. Before we even look at the verse, I want to tell you a story about this bracelet. This is called a friendship bracelet. And in the midst of it, it's got these three cubes that say BFF, best friends forever. And I want to tell you the story of this bracelet. Here's how it happened. July 18th, I had the privilege of um, preaching my daughter Christina's wedding. And it was right here, and it was very emotional. She's the last child to get married. And um, during her vows, she said this to her um, new husband, John, that he is her favorite person. And uh, that was just part of the vows. And so the ceremony ended and everybody's walking out and I'm the, you know, the last person to walk out to give some orders and, you know, to the, how we're going to do the reception. And I stop at the thing and just off the cuff, I say this, just so you know, I used to be her favorite person. (laughs) I just, I just said that off the cuff and then I walked out. So Monday morning, I come to the office, and on my computer is an application to be my new best friend, and it's from Jacob Bergrind. Jacob is a young adult, and he has got, he said, I heard that you lost your favorite person. I want to be, I want to apply to be the new favorite person. And he, he's got all of these things to recommend him, that he likes board games like I do, and he, 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 he loves God, and he's seeking God, and, he, and he's just got all of these qualifications to be my new best friend. And so I immediately emailed him back, and I said, Jacob, I have, I've received your application. <laughs> and, I, and I said, just so you know, right now, it looks really good. It's the only application I've received so far. <laughs> and, I, and I said, but we're going to have to interview you for something this important. And so... Alice and I would like to take you out to Red Robin for lunch. And so we, we, we set this date and we, we come, we, 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 we arrive at Red Robin and Jacob has got a gift bag with him. <laughs> and so I open up this gift bag and he's got, a, a, he's got these bracelets. He's got one for him and one for me. And that we are supposed to never take these off. These are supposed to be on forever. And he's got a card in it. And in the card, there is a stick figure of him and me. We're holding hands. And we both have our new bracelet on. (laughs) And the whole experience... It was so, his delight in this was so unexpected and so healing. Just that somebody would think those thoughts and, and do that. And uh, so that's my lead-in into the title of today's message. It's called, After God's Heart, Unexpected Love. 
Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? We're reading from 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you, for he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it. And rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? That's it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Father, I pray for a revelation of your unexpected love for us. Lord, fill this place with your presence. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. After God's heart, unexpected love. Point one is an unexpected wound. I believe the case can be made that David was already vulnerable to a father wound. When Samuel the prophet comes to the house of Jesse and has spoken to Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Have your sons ready. When Samuel comes to the house, all of the sons are there except for David. David is out watching the sheep. And the the question comes to mind, couldn't Jesse have found a neighbor to watch the sheep? Couldn't Jesse have found uh, somebody else to take care of the sheep when the clear command was for his sons to be there? And we can only imagine what the wound might have been from David, that he, of all of his brothers, is overlooked by his dad and consigned to watching the sheep. In, the, in Psalm 2710, David says this, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Um, this is after he is on the run from Saul, and there is this feeling of David. I don't know that his mother and father eventually forsake him because they eventually had to join him, but he feels that way at that time. There is a, there is a father wound possibly in David. So when he meets Saul, there is nothing more than he wants than to have his love. And he works very hard for that love. The the first thing that he does is Saul is being tormented by demons and And so they get David to come and play the harp. And every time David comes and plays the harp and worships, um, Saul finds relief. And and David, uh, what a a gift to be able to bring the presence of God in such a way that it brings peace. And, And so he's got this relationship with Saul. Whenever Saul is in need, whenever he's feeling tormented, he calls for David. And then, of course, the story of David and Goliath and 
and the great victory that David wins for Saul and for Saul's kingdom. And then he becomes the general and he wins these, these great battles. But there's something in David's heart that wants to win the approval of Saul. Saul knows this and he takes advantage of it in the worst way. He has got an agenda to kill David and he decides the way he's going to do it is he's going to let David marry his daughter and he and the price of marrying the daughter is going to be that he's going to have to get all of the he's going to have to kill all these Philistines and he's going to let the Philistines do his dirty work. So he sends this message. This is 1 Samuel 18:22. And Saul commanded his servants, "Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. Saul knows this is exactly what David wants to hear. This is what he has been seeking. He has been seeking a father's love through Saul. And so in our text today, uh, we see that the plan didn't work. Um, David marries his daughter, and but eventually Saul's agenda becomes very, very clear that he actually doesn't delight in David. He wants to kill David, and uh, and he has smeared David's reputation. He's made David out to be a traitor to all of Israel, and has sent David on the run. And so we have a psalm that is written by David at this time. It's Psalm 109, verses 1 through 8. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. You will notice that Saul is never mentioned by name in this psalm. In fact, we have to figure out when it was written. It says in the prescript that it's written by David, but here's all of the evidence that we have. David has done nothing wrong at this point. So this is, this is before he sinned. He has only done the right thing. And there are multitudes now that are smearing his name, that are hating him. And then he references his love, that he has loved them. He has loved them. And then all of a sudden, in verse 5, it switches from them to him. And, and it is the words of bitterness. 
let him be guilty, let him be replaced, let, him be, let bad things happen to him. This is, this is the wound of rejection, the wound of bitterness, the person that I expected love from, the person that I worked for their love, the person that should have loved me, did not love me, betrayed me, hated me, returned evil for my good. And it puts in this wound of betrayal that makes you very suspicious of all humanity and it reduces you to just God. It's just me and God now. It's just me, it's just gonna be, it's just going to be me and God because I can't trust people anymore because I am so wounded by this person that should have loved me. I'm calling it an unexpected wound. So here's what we have learned as we have lived. Sometimes the people that God has assigned to love you don't love you the way you needed to be loved. Sometimes your parents that you loved didn't love you. <laughs> they didn't love you right. They didn't love you in the right way. Sometimes your children who you've sacrificed everything for, whom you've loved, who you just, you just felt like they owe you their love back, they don't love you back. They don't feel the same way and it becomes evident over time. Or a spouse that you have given everything for and you've, you've, you've loved them so well and then you find out that love, that love, that delight isn't going two ways and there is a betrayal that is felt that runs very, very deep because it is where you expected love you received something back that wounded you. An unexpected wound. That's point one. Here's point two. Unexpected love. It says in our text that David much delighted in David. And we're going to read when, da when Jonathan first meets David. And I am sorry that I even have to say this. But because of the confusion of our current culture, some have read somehow homosexuality into this text and that somehow David and Jonathan, that this was homo homosexual love. And friends, there, there's, there's nothing in the text that suggested homosexuality was forbidden in those days. David and Jonathan are both lifted up as exemplary. This is pure love. Pure friendship, agape love. It has no lust attached to it. But I will go ahead and read um, the, the first meeting of Jonathan and David because it's, it's so startling how strong it is um, that it, it catches us by surprise. At, this is 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. 
And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now here's why this is so unexpected. This is the first time they meet. He has not earned Jonathan's love. He has not expected Jonathan's love. This overwhelming delight came out of absolutely nowhere. And in fact, just the opposite should be true. David actually should not be Saul's rival. Saul's already king. If he has a rival, it's Jonathan. Jonathan is the heir to the throne. So if anybody should not love David, if anybody should be jealous of David, if anybody should be against David, it should be Jonathan. So this is very, very unexpected, unearned love that just comes freely to David. This is a picture of God's love for you. First, I want to look at how unexpected it is. This is Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You have to break the equation that is in your head. God loves lovable people, of course. God loves godly people. God loves people that love him. God loves people that go to church. God loves people that don't sin. God loves people that, that are a, a, a certain way. Okay, get rid of all of that. You got to get rid of all that. That's not how it works. God loves That's how we would love. If we were God, that's how we would love. That's how we would do it. There would be a reason why we love people. But Paul says this is how it works. Jesus died for the ungodly. Those who weren't seeking him, weren't for him, that were going the opposite way. And then the explanation is not a legal explanation because somebody had to do it and this had to be done and this was the only way. No, that's not it. Here's the explanation. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's so unexpected. that God would look at you and would say, I delight in you. That God would look at you and say, 
I need to make a covenant with you. Here. Here's my robe. Here's my sword. Here's my, here's my armor. I need to... I, you are the one I delight in. It's so unexpected. The gospel is so unexpected. It doesn't make sense. The unexpected love of God. Secondly, this love is unconditional. When we first hear it in in 18, David has just killed Goliath. He is in favor with Saul. He's on his way up. And so it would be possible that it would be conditional love, that, that we, we love successful people. We love the hero. We love the person. And so, so it, we could immediately trace it to, well, that's just um, he's, he loves somebody that might make him successful and that he's riding David's coattails to the top. And, and of course, he loved David because everybody loved David because David was a hero and da-da-da-da-da. Well, that's all taken away in chapter 19. Now David's on the out. David is... Uh, is Saul wants to kill David and it starts with Saul or, da- or Jonathan delighted much in David. It had nothing to do with David being in favor. It's called unconditional love. Let me read to you Song of Songs 8. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. It's a very human thing to to believe that God used to love me more before I sent. <laughs> that God used to love me more before I backslid. That God used to love me more when I was worshiping and evangelizing and, and, and doing and obeying him. Certainly he loved me more then and certainly because of all the water that's gone over the dam, his love for me has been quenched and, 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 and it's running lower now. Why? Because that's how human love works. <laughs> human love fluctuates, doesn't it? Kind of goes up and down, and sometimes you're feeling it, sometimes you're not feeling it, and, in, and a lot of it depends on what people are doing. And God's love for us, and this is, this is really, it's very hard for us to grasp. It's a mighty flame that doesn't waver. It's always full on. It, it, is a, it is a jealous love. This is, this is something people struggle with. What, why, does God, it, it, why is God so all in all the time? It's just who he is. But it doesn't matter how much water has gone over the dam. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. 
His love for you doesn't change. When the prodigal goes, the prodigal goes away because his love has grown cold. The prodigal goes away because he got a love for the world and he wanted to taste the world and his love for his father just couldn't hold him and he said, give me what's mine, I'm going to go do my own thing. And so he goes off, but just because his love has wavered doesn't mean the father's has wavered. The father's heart is burning. The Bible says that when he's far off, the father saw him. Why? Because the father was watching for him. It doesn't matter how far you are from God right now morally. It doesn't matter how horrible you've been or how long you have been that horrible. I'll tell you right now, the love of God is watching for you to return. His, his love hasn't changed. It's very, very different than human love. It's, un, it's unexpected and it's unconditional. And then, and then third, it's, it's all in. Isn't this stunning? Jonathan strips himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is covenant. Everything I have belongs to you. I freely give it to you. This is the expression of that love. So when Jesus looks at you with love in his eyes, it is to make covenant. And here's how it works. This is, it's why it's called good news. He says, I'm taking my robe of righteousness off. It's the best robe in the house. And I, this is yours now. I'm giving you my identity. I'm giving you my sword, my anointing. I'm giving you my armor. I'm giving you all that is mine is now yours. So what do we give him in return? Everything that's ours. We give him our sin. We give him our guilt. We give him our shame. We give him, give him our cold heart. And we give him our identity. And we say, I'm no longer going to live just for me. But I'm going to live in union with you. That's the covenant. All in. God's love is all in. Now this is where we get into trouble in the church because we want to change it to Jesus being all in, and we appreciate that, but we don't want to be all in. <laughs> we want to be half in. We want this part of the gospel and that part of the gospel, but, you know, we want to, we've got our own little independent thing, and we've got our own, we're all, we're all afraid we're going to lose something if we go all in with God, and nothing could be farther from the truth. You end up gaining everything when you go all in. And everything that's difficult and bad about Christianity is when you try to go less than all in. And so, but you're, you, you, until you're all in, your life is going to be constantly God's invitation to you to go all in because he can't, you can't fully enter the covenant until you're all in. It's how covenant works. Point three, last point. The healing power 
of unexpected love. I want to give you two evidences that David's heart got healed. First one is is Psalm 16, verse 3. David says this, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones. All my delight is in them. This is a psalm of David. The reason why we infer that it's written later in his ministry after he becomes king is because he says all of the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. He says that later in the psalm. He's at a very good place circumstantially in his life. This is later and his heart has come to this place of healing where it's not just I delight in God and only God because people betray you. But he delights both in God and he delights in the saints. This is what it means to be after God's heart. You can't be after God's heart fully and just delight in God but not delight in people. Why? Because God delights in people. And and it takes our hearts getting healed. We, we need to be healed. David was healed. He was wounded unexpectedly. And then he got healed so that he could delight in the saints of the earth. Here is the second uh, point of why I believe David was healed. In 2 Kings, or I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have this story of David as king. And it says this, he is in his palace and he remembers Jonathan and he remembers the covenant that he made with Jonathan. And he he brings forth his servant and he says, do we have anybody left of the house of Jonathan? My heart wants to show kindness to Jonathan. I do not forget my covenant with Jonathan. And so they go and they find this guy, um, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is broken humanity. He was dropped by his nursemaid, the very one that was supposed to take care of him, uh, injured him when they were fleeing at Saul's death, and he became crippled in both feet. And so Mephibosheth is brought before David. He's he's lame, he is broken, and he's put before David, and his heart is filled with fear because he is a descendant of Saul. Usually the next king will kill all of that line. But the reason why David has him there is to show unexpected love. And he says to Mephibosheth, Everything that belonged to your uh, father and grandfather is now yours. You're, you, you, you're a wealthy man as of right now. And from now on, you're going to have a table, a spot at my table as one of my sons the rest of your days. I'm going to treat you as if you were Jonathan. I'm inviting you. 
I'm giving you this incredible inheritance and I'm inviting you into fellowship at my table. The word Mephibosheth, it's two Hebrew words, to blow away shame. David is taking the shame of his lameness and his brokenness and he's blowing it away and he's changing his identity from being this outcast, forsaken, broken man to being this son of the king that has privilege and that has a place at the table, all because of this covenant with Jonathan. David now is part of the healing of unexpected love. So here's the stunning thing about the story. That God placed his healing in the same family where David had been hurt. He had been wounded horribly. Many would think irretrievably by Saul, yet God put in that same family this unexpected love that would heal his life. So, so this is what God has done in and through the church. Oftentimes, the testimony of people is they got wounded by Christians. They got wounded by somebody that was supposed to be a Christian. They got wounded in the church. They got hurt by the church. I'm not going to have anything to do with the church. I'm on my own now. The church hurt me. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm offended. It's just going to be me and God. And, and God says, no, no, don't leave the church. I've actually put my healing in the church, and you're going to have to return to the church to find your full healing. I was with a man a few weeks ago, and he, he told me his testimony, and I emailed him because I knew I was doing this message. I said, could I share a little of your story? And he said, absolutely, tell the story. And so he was working alongside some leaders in this church, and... Uh, and he, his old life was creeping in on him, and he, and he had just a, a failure, went back to the old way, and he came to leaders in our church and, and said, this is, this is who I was, and this is how I just, I fell very recently. And he was waiting. He said, he was, he was expecting to be told, we can't work with you anymore. You, you're done. You're done here. And he said that was, because that's what I've experienced in the past from the church. Whenever I've gotten close to the church, somehow I, I want the love of the church, I want the healing the church offers, but I don't seem to be able to live up to the church's expectations. And so he was just expecting rejection and that I blew my chance. I had a chance and I blew it. And, and he said these leaders came alongside me and they said, you know, you've, you have failed but your identity is not failure. Your identity is in God's love and God's grace. And we just want to come alongside you and we want to help you so it doesn't happen again. And uh, he said, God healed him. God's, 
God's healing him. And what happens is, is, is when you experience healing from the church, you want to bring that healing to other people. When you have received mercy, you want to give mercy. When, when, when somebody believed in you, even when you failed, you want to believe in somebody else, even when they fail. That's just, that's just how it works. So here's James 5, 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So here's often the path with people. People start out thinking the church is the most amazing, wonderful thing in the whole world. And I just can't believe these Christians and I can't believe I'm part of this thing and I'm in the family and what a privilege and what an honor. And then they go through a hurt from the church and they become disillusioned because somebody that was a leader hurt them or fell in immorality or somebody stole from them or something happened oftentimes at church and they become very, very disillusioned and go very dark about the church. I'm just going to, just me and Jesus not doing the church. But God has a way, doesn't he? Those who are sick, let them call for the elders of the church. I just see God in that. I don't know how you are, but when I get sick, I will do anything to get better. (laughs) I will take this, I will take that, I will go to this doctor, go to that doctor, and and God says, "Um, I want you to go back to church. I'm not going back to church. Okay, well then stay sick. Isn't God like that? He's just got this way of getting you to do what he wants you to do. I don't want to, I'm, I'm mad at the church. I know you're mad at the church, but I want you to go back to the church. I've placed your healing in the church. But the church hurt me. I know the church hurt you. And Jesus would say, the church has hurt me too. But they're still my beloved. And I've placed healing for you in the church. Last Two, two Saturdays ago, it was the morning session. I was doing the I Must conference for our teenagers. We had probably 50 teenagers, and it was on identity. And it was about God's love and making our, our identity in the love of God and in being favored sons and daughters. And, but, here, but here's how I am. So I had a prayer for everybody to receive the love of God, to have a revelation of God's love. And then, and then here's how I ended I said, some of you, there is a block between you and the love of God. you got it here. You've got the theology, but you don't have it in your heart. You've, you haven't experienced the love of God because there's something, there's something blocking you. And I said, for you, um, you may need a prophetic word. You, you may need a word directly from God. And I said, so me and Joe and Derek are going to be up here, and we're going we're gonna to worship, 
and nobody, nobody has to come up. But if there's just like a block between you and God, you come. Sometimes what a prophetic word does, a, a, just a right now word from God to you as an individual, it just unlocks something. And, uh, and so we started worship and sure enough, teens started coming and I think the church is famous for this. Having it in our head but not connecting with it in our heart. Just too much water has gone over, over, the, over the dam. And, and we, we need this encounter. And so we, we just ministered, and there were many, many tears, and just little words, and just sometimes just saying, God, God sees you, and he delights in you, and he loves you, and, 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 and you personally, not you generically. It, it unlocks, and, and so we had that happen in the morning, which to me prepared the way for the evening. The evening was all out glory being poured out on these kids, and they got to experience the manifest presence of God and the manifest glory of God, and it was, it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But sometimes we need somebody that has flesh and blood on them to speak God's word to us that we just haven't been able to hear directly from God because there's just been kind of like a block between us and God. In 1996, we had left our church in Faustin and we were at a new church in Montevideo and, uh, and I'm... You know, I'm just, I'm a pastor and pastors do their thing. They get up and preach and they do their thing. But, but I had hit a wall um, and, and the wall wasn't, it was an invisible wall. Nobody could see it. The wall was this. I had been so wounded in the church in Faustin. I had poured my life out, poured my heart out for them, prayed for them, tried to bring revival, brought, obeyed God and this group of secret group of 30 started meeting to get rid of me and and it was just very very wounding and I felt like I wasn't really stood up for rightly and anyway I eventually ended up leaving the church they didn't vote me out but we ended up get, leaving the church to go to the new place and um but it was just very hard to trust people again because of what had happened and I, it was just like this invisible wall that I couldn't love people the way that I wanted to. And so I'm at the Nash, our national convention, and there is a man who came to be the interim pastor at Boston, the very church that I left. His name was Kenton Knett. And, uh, and we are having lunch together, and our fellowship is not the most prophetic fellowship for whatever, but... He just stops in the middle of lunch. He says, I have the word of the Lord for you right now. I'm like, okay. And he says, the Lord wants you to know that what happened to you is not going to happen again in this new church. He wants you to know that you are safe and that this is not going to happen to you again. And it was like God just pulled that arrow out. And all of a sudden, I, could, I, could, I was free again. And it's exactly what happened. We were in Montevideo for 11 years, and that church was nothing except healing for me. But it came through 
interesting, somebody that was at the very church where I had been hurt got put healing there. He gave a word of healing. We can have the worship team. Come on back. We're going to have communion together. But I want to tell this story. So David had a very, very low time. He was in the desert, and him and his men had gone to a city named Keilah and had won that city for them. They were in um, a tremendous time of upheaval, and they went and defended them and won the city for them. And, and then the word came that Saul was chasing him, that Saul's army was going to come to Keilah. And David said to himself, surely the people of Keilah will not give us up to Saul. We just saved them. But they, they bring the, the uh, ark before them and, or the, 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 the way they discerned the, the will of God were these two stones and, and they asked the question, um, God will the people of Keilah give us up? And the answer was, yep, they'll give you up. <laughs> and so David has to flee from the city of Keilah, and he's in the wilderness. He's been betrayed by Saul. He's been betrayed by these people of Keilah. It seems like all of the promises that were made to him about being king are not going to happen. And who shows up? This is 1 Samuel 23 in the wilderness, except for Jonathan himself. And Jonathan comes and he says, I have the word of the Lord for you. All of his promises are going to be true to you. You are going to be the next king. And I really felt like this was the word that he needed. This is the word that buoyed him up in the wilderness. And what I felt was that our divine Jonathan today, the Lord Jesus, wants to come to us, every one of us, in the middle of the wilderness we're in right now, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of all of the confusion and pain that is happening right now. And he wants to look in your eyes. He wants to look into your heart. He wants to take both of your hands and say, I love you. You are my delight. And all of your promises are going to be true. Trust me. I am with you and I am for you. Could we stand together? I want to just pray that and then we're going to do a worship song. We're going to actually have communion together. So if you're at home, Um, You might want to get some elements together right now. Um, If you're here and you don't have them, they're they're at both doors. You could run out while we do this song and grab them. Um, But I want to pray for us before we uh, do this song. Lord, I just thank you for everyone in this building right now. And Lord, I thank you for everyone that's not in this building, that's watching online right now. Lord, there's so many hurts in your church. So many wounded in your church and Lord all of that is exasperated when we're in a wilderness time would you come and heal us 
with your unexpected love? Would you come and speak to us? Lord, I believe that I have been a a voice with flesh and blood today to speak healing to people. God loves you. God's not done with you. God is for you. God's delight is in you. And God's promises are coming true in you. Whatever it looks like right now, nothing has changed. He is for you. So be healed. Be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. John 13, 34, and 35. This is how they're going to know you're my disciples. By your love for one another. Isn't it interesting? Not your love for me, but your love for one another. When when Peter said, "Um, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. I want you to know I love you, Jesus. Do you know what Jesus said? Feed my sheep. I want you to make a place for Mephibosheth. I want you to forgive those who have hurt you. I want you to forgive those who have bit you. I want you, I want you to love my broken people on my behalf. Jesus is calling us, folks, to be a healing community. He's placed his healing for the human race in his church. To be part of this community just doesn't mean just to get healed. It means to be part now of his healing. So Paul said, when, whenever we are going to take communion, whenever we're going to partake of the bread and the body or the bread and the, and the, and the cup, that we're to examine our hearts to make sure we don't take it in an unworthy way. So could we just pray before we have the bread and the cup? Lord, in Jesus' name, would you examine our hearts, Holy Spirit? Lord, where we have been bitter, when we have been unforgiving, when we have been unloving, when we have been entitled to hold grudges, Lord, right now, we just say, please, Jesus, forgive us. Lord, when we think about our offense, when we think about the betrayal that happened to us, it makes us angry. But when we think about your cross, it makes us want to forgive. And so, Lord, right now, we're thinking about the cross. We're thinking about what you did for even one like me, for even one ungodly like me, for even one that didn't deserve it like me. And so, Lord, as we receive your healing and your forgiveness, it's part of our worship to extend love to those who don't deserve it, to unexpectedly forgive and give grace that brings healing. So Lord, wash us, cleanse us, forgive us, and restore us right now, I pray. In Jesus' name.